Our reading today comes from Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 25. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practised sorcery in the city and amazed all of the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised, and he followed Philip, followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed hands, oops, hold on. their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money and said, Give also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Okay, cool. Um, for the next half an hour or so, oh, it's quarter past ten. Um, next half an hour or so, uh, I, I get to talk to us. We believe that uh, God, he already has, by the way, and, and even for the next bit, uh, God wants to uh, say some stuff to us. But, but more than say stuff to us today, uh, God wants to do some stuff in us. That's why we come to church. We believe that God does stuff in us. And that's, that's what today is about. It's what it has been about. It's what it will be about for the next bit when I talk through this. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, what I want to do is, firstly, I want you to step with me into this story that Karen read to us from Acts chapter 8. Uh, we read about a man named Simon. It's called it's a great name, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> Thanks for backing me up. Uh, Simon the Sorcerer. You don't do sorcery, do you? <laughs> 
Simon the sorcerer. Uh, now, sorcerer, sorcery, uh, look, that might be a bit strange to us, but basically what this boiled down to in, in the context of this story is uh, he was a guy who could perform incantations, uh, maybe it's a bit fairy tale to say spells, uh, but charms and those sorts of things. And people who lived in this day and age were very open to those things. They are real, by the way. If you're open to them here in our world, you'll find it, you'll see it, you see it in other parts of the, of the world. Uh, it is real, and it certainly was real then. And he was one of these guys who was very open to that stuff. He did it, and he wowed people. He was like a celebrity in the eyes of the community where he lived. They called him, as we read, the great power of God. He was so impressive with what he could do that people were absolutely enthralled with him. And then one day, in this place called Samaria where he lived, something really incredible happened. A guy named Philip rocks up there. He's come from a place called Jerusalem where Philip and a lot of other people had find, found and welcomed God into their lives. They come to know God, what it means to live with him, to know him, to worship him, how awesome that is. That has happened to them over here in Jerusalem. And they are so excited about that that they say, we want everyone to know this. And the first, one of the first places they go to to tell others about how great this is, is to this place called Samaria. And we read in this story that in this place, Samaria, uh, these people, Simon and a lot of others, they are really interested. We read that they believed Philip. We read that they got baptized. Uh, and so they gather around and they become this huge following, or Simon the sorcerer at least becomes this huge follower of Philip. Then the story moves on. When the apostles, they are kind of the, the, the starters of the church. Jesus is the starter of the church, but these apostles are very important people through whom Jesus starts the church. When they hear over here in Jerusalem that, hey, these, are people, these people in Samaria are starting to find God in their lives, they say, we want to go and check this out. This is quite something, something new. Very important. People in Jerusalem, people in Samaria, they were not mates. They were really, really, really not mates. They didn't like each other. They certainly didn't love each other. Uh, in fact, enemies. And so they go over here in Jerusalem. God's breaking into their lives. We ought to go and check this out. So two guys, Peter and John, we read, make their way from Jerusalem. They go to Samaria. And there, they, uh, we read, uh, they found... Next slide. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come, literally, the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian or when God comes into your life and you uh, you welcome God into your life or you become converted or whatever other word we can put on that, usually there are four things that kind of mark that experience. Number one, you believe. You say, look, I believe that God is real, like Peter shared with us this morning in his own life. Number two, 
Uh, the Bible calls it repentance. You change your life. We say, you know what? God is so good. I want to live my life in a new way, in the way that he wants it to live. It's better that way. This is how I want to live my life. That's what repentance means. Change your life. Live the way God wants me to live because I love it, because it's better and it's awesome. We come to faith. We come to repentance. Uh, baptism. This is sort of where Christians either put water on someone's head or they dunk someone in a pool or a river or wherever. And that symbolizes a new life, a washing, a new birth. And number four, we get filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, this might be confusing if you're new to church or if you're new to Christianity. Basically, in short terms, what it means is God himself comes and lives in you. He gives you a power that is beyond anything that you have ever experienced in your life. And your main purpose from then on is to really let that power change you, transform you, to live that life of repentance through faith. These four things, faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit, they kind of happen all over the book of Acts, in, not necessarily in the order that I gave them to you. And for some reason, here in Samaria, there seems to have been this delay between when people came to faith and when the Holy Spirit was received. It's the only instance where there is this kind of delay and why did that happen? Well, I believe there is a significant reason for this. God is making a point to them and to us. He's saying to us, I am starting a new, awesome thing which is called the church. And they are welcome in my church. The same spirit that I've poured out over you Christians in Jerusalem who may think that you're quite something is the same spirit that I'm pouring out on them. They are welcome. You need to know this morning, you are welcome. God loves you. It doesn't matter where you're from, where you've been, what you've done, whether you think you should be like them to fit into church or to fit into God or to know God or to experience God, it's not true. God loves you. and He desires to let His Holy Spirit fall on you just as He has there. Get that. This is why we exist as a church, to see this happening exactly as it did here in Acts chapter 8. Now, cool, though... All of that is actually not the point, the most significant point of what I want to get at today. It comes next. When all of this happens, when Peter and John place their hands on these Sumerian Christians and the Holy Spirit falls on them, Simon the sorcerer sees this and he goes, man, that is cool. Give me this ability, he says, after he gives Peter and John money so that whoever I lay my hands on will also receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answers him kind of a bit bluntly, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no power to share in this ministry. Basically, as one guy writes, Peter says to Simon the sorcerer, to hell with you and your money. <laughs> to hell with you and your money. Why is this such a big deal? 
Why is Peter so serious and so strong in his words to Simon the sorcerer? And what was ultimately the problem with what Simon the sorcerer did here? Well, it's kind of in the words that Peter tells him. He says, your heart, your heart is not right before God. Ultimately, Simon's wanting the ability to pray for people to receive the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with God. It had nothing to do with the people whom he wanted to pray for and their welfare. In fact, it had everything to do with himself. Adding to this perception of himself as someone great whom all the people, both high and low, will give their attention and explain, man, isn't he something? This great person, Simon the sorcerer, adding another chip on his shoulder. He wants that ability to, to lay his hands and have the Holy Spirit fall on people so that he and his inflated sense of pride might look better. Okay. <laughs> We're in a series on busyness. What has all of this got to do with busyness? Good question. Let me link it. Church, I put it to you that often our busyness, our desire to be busy, has nothing to do with God. Has nothing to do with the welfare of other people, often those who matter most in our lives. Sometimes, often, our busyness has everything to do with us. Making ourselves look good or feel good. So often, our motives behind what drives us to be so busy in life is every bit as twisted as Simon the Sorcerer's motives behind wanting spiritual power for himself to make him look good. That's a very deep thing to think about. But ultimately, pride, a sense of pride, can drive our busyness and make us so, so busy. Kevin DeYoung, the guy who writes Crazy Busy, the book that we're kind of preaching through, he says, there are, he mentions 12 things. He calls them the killer peas. You may still say, I don't really know what this looks like. What would my pride look like? The killer peas is sort of what he gives us to think about what, what this pride may look like as it bubbles up into our lives. And I want to not mention all 12. I'm going to mention a few. See if you can relate to some of them if they're true in your own life. First thing is uh, people-pleasing. I'm really saying yes to this or to that or making this commitment or that commitment. Not because I really deeply care about the people that it's going to benefit or because really... This is what God wants me to do, but I don't want you to think negatively of me. I don't want to disappoint you. It may seem noble, but, but very subtly, 
Who ultimately benefits from that? Me. Create the image of me that is shaped in your head that I want to look good. <laughs> in a very subtle way, this can be pride. I want my image in your head to look good. People-pleasing. Uh, pats on the back. It's a little bit similar to people-pleasing, I guess, except that people-pleasing is sort of driven by, by fear. I'm afraid that you'll think bad of me, so I'm going to please you by saying yes. Pats on the back is, I want you to think I'm good. I got quoted today in this service. Did you hear that? <laughs> Jess? I thought, that's awesome. Uh, but, you know, that's the sinful part in us that often does things, say things, be busy because we want to receive pats on the back. Gee, you did well. That's fantastic. There's nothing wrong with patting other people on the back and encouraging them, by the way. It's just that when that becomes the motives behind why we do stuff, to earn recognition, maybe it's about us. Maybe it's not really about God. Possessions. We spoke a bit about that last week. It's not wrong to own or to want new stuff or more stuff, but it's a problem when we are too proud to trust in God no matter what happens to our possessions. About the rich young ruler, he was a rich man who came to Jesus. He said, I've done everything a good Christian should do. What else do I need to do? <laughs> Jesus says, sell your stuff, come and follow me. And he said, no, I can't do that. The point isn't that Jesus says we should all sell our stuff, but he's saying if you trust in your stuff more than you trust in him, then there are problems. They're a sign of pride. The next one, proving myself or prestige. Um, it's a little bit the same as pats on the back, but proving myself is a little bit more of an identity thing. I want to feel like a valuable, like, like I'm worth something or someone. And if I don't achieve X, Y or Z, I wouldn't have proven myself to this person or to that person. And let me tell you, you know who often the, the person is that we want to prove ourselves to most? Yourself. Unless I've achieved this, unless I've done that, unless I've earned this, I will not approve of myself. Again, it's not God who gets the honour. It's not those whom I love, it's myself. <coughs> Pity. We love this one. You know, I bet you have it oftentimes in your life when someone asks you to do something or they, 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 they say, I would have asked you to do this, but I know that you are so busy. So I thought maybe I shouldn't. It's very loving of the person who asks that. But the subtle thing that can creep in here is we hear that and think, yeah, you're dead right. I am really busy. <laughs> you shouldn't ask me to do things because I'm so busy. And, and in, a, in, a, in a very subtle way, we can often almost thrive on that. 
We like the fact that others don't ask us stuff because we are so busy. That's how it should be. Um, poor planning. There's a story of two guys who had to chop down massive trees. And the first guy, when he was handed his axe, he just hacked into that tree. They had three days to do it. He said, there's no time to waste. We've got to chop away, straight away. And he worked, night and day, backbreakingly hard. Second guy, for two days, sat on a rock. And he just sharpened his axe. And on the last day, he got up and he started chopping and they both fell their trees on the same day. You know, often with that busyness, it's a bit like that. Maybe just sit sometimes. Think about what needs to happen this week, this year, this day. Maybe we can eradicate so much of that flurry of busyness that we frantically just hack into, get it done, we've got to get up early, we've got to be busy, we've got to drive around. Maybe a bit of planning, maybe just a little bit of thinking <laughs> can, can chop down a lot of that that sort of a, a busyness and, and planning can be a sense of maybe a pride thing. I'm too proud to just sit down. Maybe the busy guy was paying the other guy out who sat down. You slack. Absolute bludger. Why aren't you working? He was too proud to just sit down, just plan this out a bit. Just think about this in humility. The next one, we've got three to go. Power. Uh, I have to be in every meeting, every email thread, every conversation, read every newsletter and article because if I'm not, I won't know what's going on and the world needs me to know what's going on. <laughs> I need to have my say in everything. It's important. <laughs> Control freak. We're too proud often to say that I don't need to know everything that's going on. I don't have to be in every meeting. I don't have to pick the colours <laughs> or the paint, the bunnies. I, there's some things that just can and should go on without me. I don't have to be there. I'm too busy because I, I want to have that power. I want to have my say. Perfectionism. <laughs> it's a big one. When is the sermon good enough? When is the job done well enough? When is my assignment that I'm doing uh, good enough for the grade that I want to get? Invariably, none of those things are ever perfect. Uh, often, not always, we have an unhealthy expectations of how perfect they should be. So we drive ourselves, we work late through the night unnecessarily because we are too proud Maybe to just, just accept good instead of absolutely excellent. Maybe God just wants us to be good today. Just good. It's good enough. Posting. Young people, wake up, please, with this little bit. We're sitting there with mom, with dad, with your brother, with your friends, and it's a meaningful moment where we could have a really beautiful, intimate conversation and your mind is on one thing. <laughs> i got to post this. This has got to go on Instagram or on Snapchat or on Facebook or whatever it is. In some ways, you've wrecked the moment. 
You're supposed to just be there that day. It's really about, really about mum who's not feeling well today. It's really about your friend who's not actually doing so well today. By posting you immediately saying, I'm so proud. This is so much about me that I need the world to see that I am here with them. And it really looks good in the background with the filter <laughs> on it. It's about me. It's not really about them. These things, these P's, all have the potential to become essentially about me, not about God, not about others. They aren't that by default. Notice I say they could be. They could be. Now let me move to a close. I want to ask a question which I'll say just a little bit about and then we're going to close this off. All right? Here's the question. How do I combat this? How do I make sure that, how do I know that it's not out of pride that I'm doing something, but actually for God and really out of a love for others? How do I tell this? How do I see this in my life? I I get what you're saying, but give me something. Help me with recognizing this and doing this well in my life. Okay, a couple of things. Firstly, uh, it's not always as easy as we like it to be. This can be a very grey area in our lives, okay? Consider this, your wife asks you to pick something up after work, it's going to take you an extra 45 minutes. You say yes, but you know you're probably going to miss the kid's bedtime if you do that. Is it people-pleasing? Is it being loving to your wife who you know has worked hard all day as well? Not really easy to tell, right? Should I take an invitation to a party which will make my weekend from busy to extremely busy, but I know if I'm not there, I'm really going to hurt someone or offend someone? Not so easy. When is it, when is it okay for me to say no to serving in a ministry in church, even if I know there's no one else to do it, the ministry will either go down or be significantly hampered if I say no. Am I pleasing people? Or am I just saying no because it's okay to say no? Is perfectionism wrong? Or if perfectionism is wrong, should I not strive for excellence? Should I just not care how the sermons come out, what grades I get on my assignments? how financially viable the project is. Remember the last week, we said that we live in a complex world. This means that there's a lot more grey in balancing the books of busyness in our lives than there is black and white. This is not as easy as that. I recognise that. So here's what I can tell you. I can't tell you what's right and what's wrong, but I'll give you a principle that Kevin Young gives in the book. He says, when you think about a commitment any commitment in your family, your workplace, socially, church, here's what you've got to ask yourself. This is the the golden rule. Am I trying to do good or to make myself look good and feel good? Is what I'm committing to here actually going to change something and do good? Or is it just going to make me look good or feel good? Right? Practical example. Dana and I are thinking about buying a new car. We've been thinking about it for years, actually. Probably will for another few years. 
I really want to buy a four-wheel drive, seven seats that can go off-road, that can take us places that we can have a lot of fun with. This is what, I, what I'm thinking about. And all the guys are going, what are you going to buy? I'm not going to tell you, because um, I'm not going to do it soon. <laughs> but this is what I'm thinking of, and now we've got to think through this practical decision. If we apply this rule, we may well find out that, hey, we're going to buy this new car, but there are a few things that are going to come with it. Well, firstly, there's going to be uh, loan repayment. So probably my wife's going to have to go back to take on more work so that we can pay for this car. Our increased stress levels will make us much more prone to yell and lose our tempers with the kids when they ride their bikes near this car and scratch it because, you know, this fancy car is going to stay under the cover whereas the old one could just stay out on the road. So they lose their space to ride their bikes in the first place. We probably won't go on as many fancy holidays as I would, let's be honest. It never really turns out that way. And when we do drive this great car and Marty, my son, while we drive through the mountains on one of these great excursions, vomits again due to car sickness in his car seat and it trickles down into everything onto the fabric of the seats. And I have to walk into the op shop and go with my naked son, yeah, do you sell clothes? <laughs> because I didn't have any. I'm going to freak out when that happens. So I'm probably not going to drive on the mountains anyway with this thing. <laughs> At the end of it all, May we stand back and think to ourselves after having done it that this car didn't actually do a lot of good to our family. It, it made me look good. I feel great when I drive it. But did it do good to us? Maybe the old Camry was better. Maybe it actually did a, a lot more good to us than what it made us look good or feel good. I'll be emphatically clear. I'm 100% confident we will buy a car at some stage. God is not against us buying a car. But I'm saying that this little rule applied in this everyday situation helps us to know when that great time is, what we should get. As soon as we are convinced that this is going to do good <laughs> and make us look good and feel good, we're going to go for it. But that's the time. With any commitment we make, Church, social, family, otherwise, is it going to do good? And if it is, well, maybe we can knock out just a few of the unhealthy things in our lives. Won't solve every problem you have, but it may knock out the extremes at least. Let's wrap this up. Let me finish with this. You may say to yourself, be dead honest, I can't do this. I'm too attached in my sinful nature, to want to look good and feel good. I get it, but, but I don't really want it. Sometimes if we're so honest with ourselves, we realise that we're just not there. We want to look good. We want to feel good. We want it to be more about us than about God. We're a lot more like Simon the Sorcerer than we think. If that's you and that's me today, here's what we need to hear. Peter's words to Simon the sorcerer. It says this to him, Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you're full of bitterness and captive to sin. It may, well, it is a harsh statement, but please, 
please, I want you to see the beauty in this. Peter didn't write Simon off. While blunt, he holds out to him the hope of the gospel. He says, yes, Simon, your heart is like this. But do you know what? You may not be able to change your heart, but God can. God can, and I tell you what, God will. Because the truth is that none of us can change our hearts. None of us can go from being prideful to being humble. It's just not who we are as humans. Becoming humble before God in particular is a miracle. And it's a miracle that only God's Holy Spirit can do in you. In fact, I believe it is the greatest and most powerful miracle that he can do is that he can take me you prideful people who don't want God and say, God, I want you. I want to do good. It's about you. It's not about me. That is a promise that the gospel holds out. And so today, you may be here and say, look, I'm not even a Christian. And I don't know if I can live this life. But I would like to. Please, just pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, fall on me. I want to live a better life, a different life, a new life, a life that considers God, a life that considers others, a life that incidentally is also going to make me feel the best anyway I could ever feel. Pray that prayer. Let's not be like Simon the sorcerer. It says, you pray for me. It's really an indication of I'm not interested. You're remotely interested, pray it. The Word of God says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake, or asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We'll give you it if you ask. The Holy Spirit has fallen on many people here already, but you know that there are some areas of your life that is about you and not God. Today, just pray. Holy Spirit, guide me back to you, to the path. Don't delay. Let's pray together now. Father, we come before you as, as prideful sinners. This is a difficult subject for us. But Lord God, I just pray that for those of us who want to live in a humble state before you and be changed, not only in our busyness, but everything. Please, let your Holy Spirit fall on us. Bring us to faith. Bring us to a new life, a new way to live for you. Father, for those of us who have received this, but maybe in some aspects of our lives are getting too busy in a way that's not about you but about us holy spirit you promised you will show that to us and you will gently lovingly guide us back to the true path where we will truly live for you do that show that to each of us where and how it is that our busyness is not about you we thank you in jesus name amen